So we're uh, rearranging things a little bit today. So uh, after this first part, then we're going to sing a congregational hymn, and then we'll have the second part, and then we'll have a choir special. I'm glad that you are here. We have some folks visiting from out of town, have some new to be with us here from in town, and and uh, some old timers that have been around a long time. I'm glad that you're back too. And uh, I've been coming to this church just about every week for almost 19 years, so I think it's a great place to come on Sundays and other days. I'm here almost every day. <laughs> We're going to look this morning at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We're preparing for Easter Sunday, the resurrection, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, we're anticipating, you know, looking forward to being reminded of that. And uh, we're going to look at the crucifixion. We're going to look at the resurrection. But today we're going to look at the, the life and ministry of Christ and what he did when he was on the earth. And obviously, we're not going to cover the whole thing. In fact, John said, if he tried to write everything Jesus did, the world couldn't contain all the books. So we're not going to cover the entire life of Christ, but we're going to look at six different things about the life of Christ, three, uh, um, uh, three and then a, break, a song and then uh, three more. And as we look at Christ and we think about him, uh, the goal, the purpose of our focusing on Christ is to remind each of us that we need to connect with Jesus Christ. You need to. I need to. We need to connect with him as Lord and Savior. We need to connect with him daily as a friend. We need to interact with him. We need to be drawn closer to him. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today uh, that's just not true. You can go to a website and you can read how Jesus was actually the illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. You can read about how uh, Jesus actually had a physical relationship with um, Mary Magdalene and had children with her, how Jesus and Thomas were uh, intimate together. There's all kinds of falsehoods out there about Jesus Christ. We need to look in the scripture and see what does the Bible truly say about Jesus and how can that encourage us in our relationship, in our walk with him, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, because the nature of the message, we're going to look at some different passages. There isn't a specific text. You can't go to the Bible and, and look at a chapter, right? Here's the chapter on his birth. Now here's the chapter on his young life. And here's the chapter on his adult life. And no, it's spread out all through the scripture, especially through the gospel. So we're going to look at several different places in the gospel. But the first thing that we need to remember about Jesus Christ, the not the most important thing. But if you don't get this one right, you'll never get Jesus right. And that is that he is the son of God. That he is pre-existent and had a predetermined plan when he came to earth. Isaiah 9, 6 said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name Shall, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now take your Bibles, please, and turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. 
And we're going to look at uh, just one verse about Jesus. Jesus is the pre-existent one. He is God the Son and came to earth as the Son of God, operating as a son while he was on the earth, but equal to the Father in glory. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equally God, three persons in one God, not a plurality of gods, one God, but operate in three persons, not three phases, and not three choices, but three distinct personalities, and God working through humanity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look in uh, John chapter 6, just one verse. Look with me in verse 38. For I came down from heaven. Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He pre-existed, and he came down for a predetermined purpose. Turn back to John chapter 1, earlier in the service. Someone was reading a few verses from John chapter 1. Look at verse 10. John 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Uh, When God spoke creation into existence, it was the voice of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, uh, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, um, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus was the voice that spoke creation into existence. He's the pre-existent one who came to be born in humanity. He's the only person who ever walked on earth that pre-existed. None of you existed before uh, you were conceived. Your existence began at conception and will continue forever, but Jesus had no beginning point. He is God. He existed before the heaven and the earth. The, the, in the beginning of John 1, in the beginning um, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In Genesis, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Before the creation of the earth, there was just God. Now, I know that's kind of mind-boggling, but something had to exist. Something had to exist or nothing would have existed. Even if you believe in the theory of evolution, which the Bible teaches is not accurate, and if you've studied evolution at all, you realize there's serious gaps in, in their understanding. And it is, the theory itself has evolved. The theory of evolution is taught way differently today than it was taught when I was a kid because it was disproven over and over, so they keep adapting and changing it. But even if you believed the theory of evolution, so what began? What was first existed? Well, gases. Where did the gases come from? They just were. Well, where did God come from? He just was. Something had to be. And if you study the scripture, not only do you have the first thing, you have the first cause. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So there were gases. What made them explode, implode? What made nothing? God spoke and creation existed. 
He's the only one who ever walked on earth that pre-existed. Everyone else began at conception. He never began. He's the only person for whom being a human being was a degradation. For us, it's an honor and a privilege to be a human being. I mean, have you ever been to the zoo lately? Uh, they, you, know, you say, oh man, the, the dog's got the life. He doesn't even have to clean himself. He just, all he does is eat and sleep. That doesn't sound like a, a very challenging, encouraging life. No wonder a dog's year is really worth seven or eight human years. God has gifted humanity. And, and we have uh, mental capacity and creative capacity because we are created after a God of infinite m mental capacity and infinite creativity. And he created mankind in his own image. For us to be human is an honor and blessing. For Jesus Christ to become human was a condescension. He did it for us. Now, I believe this because the Bible teaches it. But think how hard it would have been for people who walked on the earth in the day of Christ. If you were alive in Israel back then, you would have grown up with stories of God. And, and you would have grown up in, with stories of the prophets who pointed people to God. And you probably would have recognized Jesus must be a prophet. Most of the people recognize that. But it took even his closest friends a little while to figure out he's the son of God. He's God the son. The son of God. Secondly, Jesus is the son of Mary. Not the son of Mary and Joseph. And I apologize for this picture. Does that look like a Jewish baby? Uh, I... You cannot find a good picture of Jesus and Mary. Either she has this crown on her head or Jesus is this, you know, as white as me. Um, I have Jewish friends. They're not as white as me. They're more brown skinned. Jesus didn't look quite like that. Probably had dark hair. But the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and he said the, the, that God is going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit of God is and you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. And so Mary, who was still a virgin, conceived only time in human history that's ever happened. It was a miracle of God, a new creation, the Son of God born into humanity so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. And the rest of Mary's life was more ordinary. Um, after the conception, some of you ladies know exactly what happens. Some of us have been bystanders observing the process in Meredith's life. And, uh, you, you see the growing, the discomfort of it. I remember once Kathy would just go stand in a swimming pool and just let it lift the weight up because that relaxed and, and made it easier. Mary had all of the discomforts of any other woman who's ever had a baby, and she didn't have any of the conveniences of our modern culture. In Luke... Chapter 2 and verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth 
her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now let me pause just a moment here. Some people worship Mary as the mother of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. Some say Mary is a perpetual virgin. That's not what the Bible teaches. In Matthew it said that, that, they, that Joseph did not have physical intimacy with Mary till after Jesus was born. And here it calls Jesus specifically her firstborn son. Very clearly, she had others. They're named in Scripture. Uh, they're half-brothers of Christ. The brothers of Joseph and Mary are the sons of Joseph and Mary. Jesus is the son of God and Mary. Uh, unique. Uh, but he is the son of Mary. Jesus was fully human. He looked and acted like the people around him. He didn't glow in the dark. He looked like they did. He wasn't seven feet tall among a group of uh, Israelites that their average height was 5'4 to 5'8. Um, Jesus probably fit right in. They, he was in there. It's kind of weird for me to think that I could be taller than Jesus was. But different culture, different people. The Romans were probably all taller than Jesus was, the Roman soldiers. He was fully human. But he did not act like the people around him. There were certain things that Jesus did differently. His teaching style was different. What the rabbis would do, they would say, well, I have studied under the feet of this rabbi and this rabbi. And they would quote from the rabbinical text. Jesus would quote from the word of God and then tell people what it meant to help them understand, to grow, to mature. Jesus didn't, didn't teach like they did. He didn't act like they did. The Pharisees were very arrogant. Recall the one Pharisee praying, Father, I thank thee I'm not as other men are, especially like that, that publican over there. Jesus didn't pray that way. He talked to God in a personal relationship with him. He was not haughty. He was not arrogant like most of the rabbis in his day wanted to distinguish themselves from the people. I had somebody actually criticize me for not wearing a robe when I preach. That I should wear a robe to set myself apart as a pastor. I think wearing a necktie to set yourself apart a little bit. But, but I, I wear a robe. And I told them, in his culture... Jesus looked like the other people. He, he fit in with them. He walked through the middle of them. They didn't say, whoa, who's the crazy guy? Jesus didn't have extra bling. He wasn't Mr. T drawing attention to himself. Some of you have no idea who that is, and that's just fine. That's fine. Uh, but Jesus didn't try and draw attention to himself through the way he dressed. Uh, he didn't talk in an arrogant fashion. He used the language of the people. He didn't speak to them in Latin or uh, always in pure Hebrew. He spoke in Aramaic, the, the language of the people. And he was real. And he cared about people. And that made him stand out. And he cared about his mother. On the cross as he was dying, he made sure there was somebody to take care of his mother. Someone who believed. Someone who was fully connected with God through Christ. 
John. He was the son of God and he was the son of Mary. He also was the son of promise. The son of promise. In uh, Revelation 13.8, it describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before God said, let there be light and there was light. Before in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Before that, God had predetermined that Jesus would come and pay the penalty for our sin. He was the son of promise, the the promised Messiah, the Redeemer that would come. In Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 20, 28 and Mark 10, 45, they both say Jesus came to give his life a ransom. He came to pay the penalty for something he actually did not owe. He lived a sinless life. He was the sinless, spotless lamb. And he willingly submitted to the will of the Father, yielding himself and submitting uh, to not just God the Father, but even to his earthly parents. Look in, we're in Luke chapter 2. Look down a little bit toward the end of the chapter. Look with me in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Benjamin reminded me of a time when Kathy and I drove to church separately once. And I thought he was with her and she thought... He was with me and we drove home and we're getting changed on Sunday afternoon and there's no Benjamin and the door knocks and we go and open the door and there's Benjamin. He walked home. No, I'm just kidding. Somebody else, some kind person in the church gave him a ride. Uh, But (laughs) to, to our knowledge, that's never happened before or since. And I didn't remember it, but Benjamin has this vivid memory, so it must be true. Um, I'm sure it stood out in his mind a lot more than mine, right? Mine's, oops, wow, we have four others, you know. Um, Just kidding, just kidding. But, But in that day, you didn't travel just a family. You traveled in a big group, so lots of people would have gone down together. I, I don't know if you've ever been around a big family reunion, all the cousins. and It's hard to keep track of which kids are yours because they're all running around with all the other cousins and everybody. And, and, and so they get down after the first day's journey, then they start breaking up by family, and whoop, Jesus is not here. And now Mary feels what? Panic. And they race back to Jerusalem, they look for Jesus, and they eventually find him. Uh, Verse 44, they supposed him to have been in their company. They went a day's journey and sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they turned, I'm sorry, when they found him not, they returned, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple. Now, I don't know if they searched Jerusalem for three days or a day out, a day back, and one day of searching in Jerusalem. It's not specific. But for at least three days, possibly five days, they were looking for Jesus. And verse 46, um, they found him sitting in the temple uh, in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding. And so in verse 48, they asked him, said, why have you done this to us? And verse 49, Jesus said, why were you seeking me? 
Don't you realize I have to be about my father's business? So at age 12, Jesus knew that he was the son of God and the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph and Mary. When did he know that? You know, when he was a little baby, we don't understand how the son of God could have mental development as a baby. The one who spoke creation into existence had to learn to speak. Um, but, But we know that's what happened. So we don't know exactly how much of his brain was filled with the knowledge of God and how much of his brain was basically human understanding. Uh, At this stage in his life, he understood he was the son of God. And he could debate with the greatest theologians of his day. And they were astounded at his wisdom. Now, verse 51 He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Wow. Now, some of you are kids and teenagers. You're under your parents' authority, and you're pretty sure you're smarter than your parents. Jesus really was. And he still submitted to them because that's the right thing to do. He was the son of promise. He obeyed completely. Uh, There was never an issue in his life. Uh, If his parents had a parent-teacher conference about Jesus, uh, the rabbinical teachers would have been, Jesus is the outstanding student of the school, year after year after year. I'll have to ask my parents and see what that was like. Um, uh, Jesus was the son of promise. He was the son of God, and the son of God was obeying his mom and dad. He knew who he was, yet he submitted. He knew they didn't get it, but he submitted. He did what was right every time. But if you lived in their culture, something would have stood out. He didn't submit to the Pharisees. He submitted to the Father in heaven. He submitted to his earthly parents. But he didn't submit to the Pharisees in his adult ministry. Uh, you know, in their culture, they were taught to respect and almost even worship the Pharisees for their righteous zeal, and they paraded it before people. And, and today, there are cultures and churches that almost worship the pastor or priest who serves over that church. That's not a pattern you find in the Bible, in the New Testament. And Jesus called the Pharisees names. And he warned against being like them. Think what it would have been like to be in that culture. And then he taught, he was a a rabbi who talked to women and children. That was not done in their culture. He was the son of God. He was the son of Mary. He was the son of promise. In a few minutes, we're going to look at some more of who Jesus was, his life and ministry, but now let's sing Amazing Love. Jim will come and lead us. Life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, not only is he the son of God and the son of Mary and the son of promise, but but we also look at what he did with his life. And he is the one who heals. The one who heals. So, Tell me somebody Jesus healed over here. 
blind man, blind Bartimaeus before Jericho. He healed him and others, somebody else. A man, yeah, ten guys with leprosy got healed. Only one came back to thank him. Don't you know if Jesus was like us, because the other nine didn't say thank you, Jesus would take it back? No, he healed all ten of their leprosy. Over here, who else did he heal? Pardon? Jairus' daughter. He healed people of diseases. He healed people of sickness. Every gospel says he was a healer. Uh, in Matthew 8, he healed the Roman centurion's servant. In chapter 12, he healed the man whose hand was crippled. In Mark 10, he healed blind Bartimaeus. In Luke 5, he healed a paralyzed man. In John 4, he healed a nobleman's son. All through the Gospels, Jesus is healing and healing and healing. Take your Bibles now and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. He, he even raised the dead. There's two specific il- illustrations I'm thinking of. He stopped a funeral procession. I've been in a funeral procession far too many times. And Jesus stopped it. And he raised the son from the dead and then presented him to her, his widow mother. What a, what a blessing. I wonder if any of the people who were paid to be whalers were frustrated they didn't get to get their paycheck. In their culture, they hired people to wail and moan after a memorial service. And um, Sorry, my brain just goes places sometimes. Uh, But he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it caused such a stir, the Pharisees thought about putting Jesus and Lazarus both to death to stop it. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing what? All manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought people unto him, all sick people that were taken with diverse, various kinds of diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those that were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Just imagine this. I mean, if we went across the room, I bet we could come up with about 20 different diseases or illnesses that plagued people in this room. Different levels, different conditions, but, but we suffer with different things. Uh, I, I bet there's two or three in this room. We could get half a dozen just with those one people. And, and we could add up this list. Well, you know, Jesus could heal all of them. In fact, um, if he has not healed you, it's because he wants you to grow through this. His goal is not so you can be physically strong and healthy. His goal is that you can become like Jesus. Jesus suffered, and he learned obedience through his suffering, Hebrews says. He he suffered, and and he ministered, and God allows suffering to accomplish his will. Just look at Jesus. And so some of the difficulties you're going through are actually helping you become like Jesus, and yet most of the time we're trying to pray him away like Paul did. His thorn in the flesh tried to pray it away. 
So, uh, his, his, but it, the greatest healing Jesus did was not all these people whose lives were healed, the guy who was paralyzed who could walk, the guy who was lame from his mother's womb who could leap, uh, the blind guy who could see. No, the real joy was that he healed the sin-sick soul. People who were on their way to hell trusted Jesus, and now they're on their way to heaven. They were hopeless. Now they have a great hope. Hebrews 7.25 says, He saved them to the uttermost who come to God by Him. Saves completely. The thief being put to death on the cross turned to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy went from the worst experience of his life to the best experience of his life. On the same day, he died. He was in heaven with the Lord. See, if you lived in that day, you would have heard about Jesus the healer. If you had uh, an illness or you had a loved one who was sick, you would have wanted to get them to Jesus. You would have been like the guys who had the paralyzed friend and they couldn't get to Jesus through the house, so they actually took the roof off the house to lower the man down so Jesus could heal him. You would have wanted to get to Jesus, the one who could heal, because he could heal anything, all kinds of diseases, all kinds of people, and he healed them all. Now, in our culture today, we have people who say, well, I'm a faith healer. Um, I shared with you before, I was with my dad in the presence of a guy who's a well-known faith healer, had a, had a show on television and, and uh, raised all kinds, millions of dollars came in to help fund his ministry. And, and I have no idea why we were there, but we were there. And he's walking us around the campus of this university he'd built in his name as a memorial to his giftedness. And uh, he shows us the hospital. And I was a kid. I stopped and I said, what do, you, what do you mean a hospital? I thought you were a faith healer. Can't you just heal them? Jesus could heal all kinds of diseases. But people who say they're faith healers, they sometimes say they can't. And they usually blame it on the person who doesn't get healed, not having enough faith. Well, the healing that I've experienced in my life had nothing to do with another person. Jesus can heal you when you call out to him in prayer. He is the healer. If he chooses not to, he's using it to help you mature. He is the one who heals. He also is the one who reveals, the one who reveals. In John fourteen seventeen, Jesus, in his prayer to the Father, said, I have given them thy word. Matthew twenty eight twenty, Jesus commanded his disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, because he's the one who reveals the truth of God's word to us. Uh, in John 3, uh, Nicodemus called Jesus a teacher come from God. And Jesus was called a teacher and was the greatest of teachers. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 5. The one who reveals, Matthew chapter 5. 
And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Do you have a red-letter edition? Okay, how much of the rest of the page is red? Now turn the page. All of it. Turn it one more time. <laughs> yeah. This message goes all the way to Matthew 7:27. It starts in Matthew 5:3. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus went and sat on the mountain, and then he revealed God's truth to the people. In that sermon, he talks about your behavior and your attitude. He talks about perseverance when persecuted. He talks about being salt and light, a testimony and a witness for Christ. He talks about loving your enemies and avoiding guile and deceit. He talks about being friendly toward everyone. He talks about how to give generously, how to pray, how to show grace how to have appropriate values. He talks about trusting him and not worrying. He talks about helping others and not condemning them. To be wise and not foolish. To trust him for salvation and for life. Because he's the one who reveals. He's the teacher, the rabbi, the great rabbi, Jesus. If you lived in those days... You heard Jesus was coming to town. You would have invited friends. Hey, let's go hear Jesus. You would have been at work. You'd said, hey, I, I need to take the afternoon off. I need to go hear Jesus. Jesus is coming, and he's going to teach. And you would have been attracted by his charisma and intrigued by the clarity with which he revealed truth. And part of you would have been a little confused because it was so different than what you'd been hearing your whole life. And you would have wanted to hear more so that you could understand it. Remember Nicodemus, a ruler in Israel, probably part of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he said, I've been listening to you, and I don't quite get it. And he wanted to know more. He's the one who reveals. Lastly, he's the one who cares. The one who cares. Um, take your Bibles and turn to John 11. This is the story of a man named Lazarus who was sick and who died. And then Jesus came and raised him from the dead. So the chapter starts out with bad news. He's sick. Worse news, he's dead. Um, great news, he's alive again. Ends with joy. But I want you to see the heart of Jesus here. The one who cares. I want you to see his heart. As we look in um, Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 11. And... Uh, there's a couple of verses that I want you to see. Look in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, he'd already talked to Martha. Now he's connecting with Mary. Their brother Lazarus had died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You know what that's like? Um, Last year, was it, we went up to Idaho? Was that just a year ago? 2015. Um, A pastor friend who was in Tempe um, developed some health concerns. They moved up to uh, Idaho, and there was a church very interested in calling him to be the pastor, and he was anticipating a long and fruitful ministry there. Uh, much younger than I was, uh, Chris, uh, they found out that he had a severe melanoma, uh, which is skin cancer, and there was not, nothing on the outside of the skin. There were no marks of how he could get that, but he, he ended up dying of that cancer. And and it was a grief, and it, and it, it, uh, it was hard to process because he was a faithful pastor, and he had a, a wife and several kids, and so uh, Courtney and Kathy and I drove up to Idaho to be there for the memorial service. And, and when we walked in for the viewing, uh, there was Monty Level. So he's preached here for us before. Monty was Chris's dad. There was Janine, who's Chris's mom. And there's Michelle, who's Chris's wife. And they were all just, just grieving from this raw uh, event of having lost their son, husband. And when we walked in... Uh, Monty and I just embraced in a bear hug, and Janine and Courtney embraced, and Michelle and Kathy embraced. The three of us made our trip up there, and we walked in, and we just held on to each other. And there's just this this groaning inside that we all had to experience this loss. Worse for them than for us, but a loss that we all experience. That's what Jesus felt a groaning inside of him that these that he loved hurt so deeply. And he felt for them. In verse 34, he said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept. Now, this is not Jesus dabbed a few tears from his eyes. He wept an open brokenness. And the Jews who were standing around said, Behold, how he loved him. Now, you already know the end of the story. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he had to call him by name because if he just said, Come forth, everybody would have come out, right? Uh, he, He was resurrecting only Lazarus. And he came forth. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how oft I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Stories told of a fire in a farmyard and and a, a loss of so much. And the farmer's walking across the farmyard, and there's a hen that's just burned up. And he's just frustrated at the loss, and he takes his boot, and he just kind of kicks at the hen, and, and the hen flips over, and all these chicks come running out. The mother hen had died protecting those chicks. The mother hen will pull them in and 
and gather around them and protect them. And you do not want to go try and pick up the chick when Mother Hen is close by. Jesus said, that's what I wanted to do to you. I cared about you. I wanted to bring you up close and protect you, and you would not. As our high priest, uh, Hebrews tells us, his heart is still stirred by our weaknesses and our struggles. If you look at the life of Jesus, he spent time with people no one else cared about. Uh, the average Jew going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, how would they travel? Would they go straight north? No, they wouldn't, because if you go straight north, you go through this region called Samaria. So they would cross the Jordan, go up on the east side of the Jordan, cross back to the west into Galilee to avoid Samaria. But Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. And many believed. He spent time with Samaritans. He spent time with children. He spent time with women. Radically different than the average religious leader of his day. He didn't focus on the power brokers or the influential ones. Rather, he focused on those in need. (laughs) In fact, um, thousands of people followed him but he did not demand respect or financial gain. Um, Benjamin pointed that out to me this week. We were talking about this message and thinking about it. And and that, you know, you would have expected in our culture today, if a preacher gets thousands of people following after him, he expects perks, right? You get your nicer house, your nicer car, nicer income, more comfortable this and that. And Jesus had less and less comfort the longer he lived, regardless of the size of the crowds that followed him. Because he didn't come to satisfy himself. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. He sought to bless people, help people, minister to people, not to get wealthy. You need to get to know Jesus. You need to know him as your Lord, as your Savior, as your friend. Matthew 11, Jesus invited people to trust and follow him. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Apostle Paul had that passion to know Jesus more. In Philippians, Paul said, The focus of his life was to know Jesus deeply, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the uh, fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Peter, the final words of Peter written in Scripture the conclusion after First Peter and then Second Peter, you get all the way down to the end of Third Peter, and Peter says, "But grow in grace." I'm sorry, the end of Second Peter. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, "Whoa, I got to get his Bible." Okay, you get to the end of Second Peter, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen.
Jesus came to model God's love and grace. He came to show us the way to the Father. He is the Son of God, the Son of Mary, the Son of promise. He is the one who heals, who teaches, who cares. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord, and your friend. And He died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Hebrews says, without shedding of blood is no remission. Somebody's blood had to be shed for your sins. Jesus said, I'll do it. He died the most violent death ever experienced by any human being. And our choir is going to come and sing a medley of songs about His blood that He shed for us. comes and makes accusation against us. Jesus Christ defends us. He's our defense attorney. He's our advocate. He's on our side. But if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, then Jesus is just an historical figure that some people like to talk about. But if you have trusted him, asked him to forgive your sins, then he also is not just a historical figure. He's your Savior, the Son of God, who came to pay the penalty for your sins and mine so that we could be forgiven. And if He is your Savior, then He also wants to be your Lord. He wants you to submit and follow Him, just like when He was on the earth, He submitted and followed the Father. He wants you to submit and follow, because that's what's best for you. Keeps you out of a lot of trouble and allows you to earn rewards in heaven. But the worst thing that you can do is ignore Jesus. Even those who walked with him did not all follow him. Judas didn't. Some of the other followers turned and walked away. What are you going to do with Jesus? Receive him as Savior, follow him as Lord, and then grow and mature where you can know him as friend. Or are you going to miss all that? See, that's a choice you have to make. Jesus basically said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You can come unto him. But it's a choice that you have to make. You have to decide you want to know him. You have to decide you want to grow in him. To grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to decide like the Apostle Paul, that I may know him more intimately, more personally, be more connected to him. What choice are you going to make? I don't know. But I know what choice I'm going to make. You make a choice. May it be a wise one, the only wise choice to draw closer to Jesus Christ. There's a song that we're going to sing.
in closing and an invitation. If you would like to come to the front and pray, you'd like somebody to show you how to be saved, you don't have to come to the front. If you want to be saved, you can just stay where you are and then after the service, talk to somebody. They'll find somebody who can show you from Scripture. We're not trying to put you on the spot, but if you feel the Spirit of God burdening your heart to do something today, even if it's just to know Jesus more, don't let that go. Pursue that before you leave this place today. Let's stand together as we sing. There is a fountain.